Welcome to the Doctors Building Wealth Podcast, a place where we talk about the strategies, habits, and mindset that separate wealthy docs from those who are not. We're your hosts, Leiti and Kenji. Michael, thank you for joining us and welcome to Rich Doc Poor Doc. Would you mind telling our listeners a little bit about you? Sure. I'm a commercial and healthcare litigator. I essentially lead a team of relentless guardians in helping any of my clients achieve the outcome in dispute resolution that they're looking for. And this is pretty much any conflict that comes their way, whether it's litigation, pre-litigation, negotiations, resolution, things of that nature. I've been honored with two top 100 national jury verdicts, including the largest jury verdict in the state of Arizona. And I've been litigating cases for over a decade now in all manner of conflict, but mostly in the commercial and healthcare. Yeah. And for those of you who this is your first time meeting Michael, I actually met him at a Tony Robbins event. He was the best partner ever. So I think you need (laughs) to add that in there as well. (laughs) Yes. No, I mean, there was a lot to work with. So yes, we did meet at a date with Destiny. And I will say that I've learned more from Leiti and Kenji in the last year than I've probably learned from many of my mentors over the course of a decade. So it's just been such an amazing relationship in working with them and their level of mastery over pretty much anything they touch, but in the space of real estate and in the space of the commercial transactions that we work on together, they've just been tremendous as well. So thank you for honoring me, but I have to honor you right back. Oh, thanks, Michael. Well, this is a good segue because you just mentioned the ways that you've helped us actually with some issues that we've had with tenants. And so that's part of why we wanted to have you here because you have been such an amazing help to us in disputes and coming through with really unique solutions when we faced a lot of drama in our real estate. So I really wanted to ask you, how do you handle disputes so well? And what is your approach? Because I think you have a secret sauce. (laughs) Thank you. I appreciate that. The secret sauce, to be honest with you, probably the most important thing is outcome, right? Most people enter into conflict with task-oriented approaches, meaning they're looking for the next thing to do. They called me, I have to call them back. I need to send a letter because they sent me a letter. But the reality is so often people move past and, and ignore the ultimate outcome that they're trying to achieve that they fail to achieve that result because they get locked into repeating the same tasks over and over again. And so I've found great success in approaching any type of situation by first determining what's the end, right? What's the result that I want to actually produce here? And then I attack the outcomes because usually once you have the outcome in mind, your brain does this remarkable feat of bringing you to the next actions that you need to achieve your outcome. And then probably the next most important thing is truthfulness. Very often now in society, people just don't tell the truth. A lot of it has to do with fear, right? They're afraid of how people are going to perceive them if they tell the whole and honest truth. And most people chalk it up to politeness or you just can't say certain kinds of things. And the reality is that you're not providing people with a full truthful response, which allows you to confront more directly, which allows you to produce the results that you're trying to produce. And so if there's any secret sauce, it's tell the truth and do it in an outcome oriented way. Awesome. So you actually helped us by actually intervening in a deal that the seller no longer wanted to sell. And one of the things I saw you do was interact with the other side, the other lawyer, and just go in with this intensity, this, I think you call it urgency as well. So I really wanted you to touch on that. 
Sure. There's three traits that I think differentiate a good attorney from a great attorney from a world-class attorney. And those three qualities are caring, urgency, and aggression. So each of those traits are critical to producing somebody who is going to create results for you. And I think what you're touching on, Leiti, is the urgency component. And what the urgency component basically says is that there is no impediment. There's nothing that's going to stop you from producing your result. So a lot of times, I'll give you an example. Somebody says, oh, I have to call this attorney back and he's not returning my call. Well, if the outcome is resolution, then an attorney not returning your call is an impediment. So what do you do to crush that impediment? Call him again. How about calling him every hour? How about going to his office? How about calling his paralegal and saying, where is this person? How about having cookies delivered to his paralegal? How about calling their partner until this person picks up the phone and returns your call? And so urgency requires you to crush any impediment that stands in the path of the outcome that you're producing. And if it's a person, then you have to figure out a way to confront them and influence them to see your side of it, accept your side of it, and produce the result that you're ultimately trying to get at. That's the way I've approached every one of my cases is that whatever the impediment is, it's non-existent. It doesn't stand in my path, and I'll overcome and I'll crush it in its path. It doesn't have to necessarily be aggressive. It doesn't have to be violent or anything along those lines. But even in using truth and confrontation, you can remove any impediment that stands inside your path. So I think that's what you were referring to. And that's exactly what we did. And, mm -hmm. you know, the result that we ultimately got was the right result. It was the fair, equitable result to happen. And when you're approaching anything with that mindset of saying, I'm going to produce a fair result, I'm going to produce the right result, the most optimal result, then nothing can really stand in your path as long as you're hitting it with the right level of urgency. Yeah, actually, the outcome was better than we had hoped. <laughs> so that, that was great. We really appreciate that. But can you talk about the other two traits in a little bit more detail? Sure. So probably the one that's easiest to appreciate is caring. And caring in like the colloquial sense means you actually care about the result. But it goes so much deeper than that. Caring can be multifaceted. It can be three-dimensional. So for example, if you have an employee that's working for you and they're just not motivated, right? They may not care about their own well-being. They may not care about producing results for themselves. They may not care about moving themselves into a position where they generate more income for themselves. And that lack of caring translates to the results that they produce. If they don't care, then they're not going to give it their all. They're not going to be aggressive. They're not going to be urgent. And so caring actually goes so much deeper because you care about yourself and the results you're trying to produce for yourself, the desires, the whys that drive you, caring for your client, caring for your organization, caring for your firm. It, it's, again, multifaceted. It just goes so deep. And so you want to make sure that whoever it is that you're working with actually cares about the result and not just you, but cares about themselves enough to hit it with that level of urgency, to have pride in their workmanship, pride in the skill set that they develop and to achieve those results, but also care about the bottom line at the end of the day, because it's very easy for attorneys to get hyper aggressive, run up the bill like crazy, and all they care about is sending you a big bill and don't really care about you. And so all of these things have to work together to produce the most optimal result. And so caring is, is critical in that regard. Aggression is probably the most complicated of all the subjects because when most people think aggression, you think jerk, right? You think loud, you think authoritative, you think declaratory statements. But aggression is, it can be that, but doesn't have to be. And basically what aggression is, is direct confrontation without avoiding the truth, right? Direct confrontation without avoiding the truth. 
And so you can have a heart to heart with someone where you actually bear your soul and tell them everything that you've been thinking. And you say it in a really calm way, in a serene way, in a loving and connected way. And that's aggressive, right? It's aggressive because you directly confronted the issue. You didn't have to yell and scream to produce the results. Sometimes you do, but aggression requires the direct confrontation without avoidance and going towards integrity and truth. And so all three of those have to be combined together to make sure that you have the right person working for you, whether it's an employee, a professional, a mentor, whatever it is, it's the combination of the caring, urgency, and aggression that together produce the results that are most optimal for you. So I'm not a lawyer, which I'm not. Would I be able to use these three traits in my own dispute resolution? Yeah. Look, the truth of it is, is that those characteristics don't just make a great attorney. They make a great accountant. They make a great employee. They make a great anything. It makes a great spouse, right? If you care about the result, if whatever the impediment is inside your relationship, like just use your, your spousal relationship with somebody. If there is a problem inside your relationship and you don't address it, resentment breeds, frustration breeds, disappointment breeds, right? If you run into the problem and for whatever reason you're fighting and you can't overcome it, if you're not using urgency to overcome all obstacles, whatever it is, right? It's you and, and your spouse versus the problem, or you don't care enough about the relationship, things are not going to go well. So the skill set that makes me a great attorney can be similarly used by an accountant, right? Or a real estate agent or anybody to make themselves great in that, or you could even use it with your kids, right? Or your spouses. So the skill set is directly translatable to anybody if they want to produce results, whatever the result is inside their life, whether it's to have more money, more time, more fulfillment or impact out of their life, to have better relationships with their children or spouses, to be better in their vocation, whatever it is, 100% those same skill sets can be used. And I, I think what's most interesting about the question, Kenji, is you don't have to be a lawyer to be good at dispute resolution. You just have to be caring, urgent, and aggressive, and you'll produce whatever result you want to, no matter what. The only thing that differentiates me between a property manager or a landlord or a property owner is that they didn't go through three years of law school. But when someone breaches a contract, it's pretty obvious, and you don't need the three years of law school in order to explain that when someone has breached their side of the agreement. And so you could use that same skill set to produce the results that you want to there. Yeah. When you were talking about caring, actually, initially I went right and thought about real estate agents. And this is exactly the type of real estate agent you want for an investor agent, right? Is somebody who's caring, somebody who's urgent, somebody who is aggressive. How do you help somebody learn to care about you? Because a lot of our students are meeting these real estate agents for the first time. Is it by being really open and honest and vulnerable? Or how, how do you build that relationship that comes into caring? Wow, that is a really good question. So it used to be the case, right? This is three years ago. It used to be the case that I suffered from a delusion. And that delusion was that people either care or they don't. People are either urgent or they don't. Aggression can be taught, but either you're urgent and you care or you're not. And the reality is that's so far from the truth. One of the critical skills in influencing anybody, right? To produce any result that you want is love everybody. And that sounds hokey nonsense, like how can you possibly love anyone that you don't know or that you've just met? And so many times, one of the things that helped me to overcome that or to get to a place where I actually loved and cared about everybody, which increased my caring for them, is that most of the time that you're dealing with people, they are calling out to you. 
for making a cry for help. They have a, a need. And most of the people that I deal with on my day-to-day are people who are in, involved in litigation or have a substantial dispute that they're in. And as a result of that, they come to me with a massive amount of uncertainty. And so only by loving and connecting with them can I actually care enough to restore their certainty. And I've always been very connected to people, but from an emotional level, you have to love them and want to protect them and want to care for them and want to produce a great result, not just because it's good for you, it should be, but also it's really important in loving and caring for people and restoring them to where they need to be. And the way to develop that is to love everybody. And and many people have trouble with that, right? They have trouble connecting emotionally and being okay with just loving everybody. It's like, I love my, my kids and I don't love anybody else. But the reality is everybody's a beautiful soul. Everybody's trying really hard. They all have private battles and wars that they're waging that are hard to understand or appreciate from the outside looking in. And you can help that, right? Even saying something nice to a person, a stranger in the elevator or online, which I know is rare now in light of COVID, but even saying something nice to a stranger can light up their life. And feeling good about that or connecting with that and letting that fill up your cup and making you feel fulfilled is the path to becoming someone who can love everybody. And once you do love everybody, the caring comes naturally because you do want to produce a great result for them. And you do want to get to a place where you're helping them have certainty or have one of their other needs fulfilled, whether it's the feelings of being recognized for their achievements or whatever it is, whatever their need is, you can begin to fill their bucket, which in part fills your bucket because you feel like you've given back and you've helped them. Oh, that's so beautiful. And I think that's one of the reasons we are friends with you is you are so different than most people we meet because you truly have figured out how to love everybody, even people who are lawyers who are working against you, right? So how do you connect with them emotionally in that level with knowing very, very little about them? How do you get to that level? Sure. Most of the time when you get on the phone with an adversary, right, opposing counsel or something along those lines, there is a script that they expect for you to run. And from right off the bat, I engage in a pattern interrupt. I'll call a fellow attorney brother, right? Or reach out to them and hit them with a massive amount of positive energy because I want to create an interruption to their patterns that I'm not just your regular attorney. I'm here to get something done. And when I approach those conversations, I have an outcome in mind. My outcome is to establish deep resonant emotional rapport and connect with them in a way that they haven't been connected with ever, even from their own spouses. And the way you do that is by asking questions and listening to their responses and really connecting with them and listening to to what they're actually sharing, what they're saying, what they're not saying that you can infer and just connecting to their hearts. And once you're able to do that and and get into a position where you can communicate with people in a way that is different than what they're expecting, there's an automatic response of a need to open up. Not everybody is as easy or it comes to them as naturally, but the way you begin to, to form those relationships is interrupt their patterns into what they believe you're going to do and then connect with them by listening really deeply, like really intently and really caring about their responses and show them that you care. And once you do that, you can establish an emotional relationship with anybody. And that's what produces the amazing results because now they they care for you and they want to reciprocate and give back to you for the gift that you've given them, which is something as simple as just listening to them and connecting with them, having them feel heard and understood. Wow, that's so different 
than most people approach conversations in a first conversation with people if they have an outcome in mind, right? Because if you have an outcome in mind, you're just thinking about how to get that outcome, but you're actually able to have that outcome in mind, table it almost, connect with them, and then how do you bring that outcome back in? So it's a combination of outcomes, right? There's some outcomes that are going to contradict one another. One outcome may be to uh, de demonstrate mastery over the subject matter, demonstrate yourself to be an authoritative subject or authoritative in the subject area that you're talking about. That could be outcome number one. And the reason that you would establish that outcome is because you want to be beyond reproach when you're on a, the phone with someone. Say, I know this better than you do. You, I know this better than anybody else can possibly know this. And so challenging me here is going to be a huge mistake. It's going to be expensive for your client and things of that nature. And But that outcome can actually trigger an ego-based response, meaning now a person goes, oh, you're trying to show me up. You're trying to say that you're better than me. You're trying to say that I'm lesser than you. And so while inherently those two outcomes may contradict, like if you say establish a loving, emotional, deep, emotional rapport relationship and establish yourself as an authoritative subject, there is a way to have a conversation where you establish both emotional rapport and also connect with them so that they understand that you're not in any way trying to belittle them, but that you are an authority on the subject matter that you're addressing. And so the outcomes are all, they're interconnected. So you don't go in with one outcome. You may go in with four, but then figure out how to achieve that all of them. And you may walk off the phone and achieve three out of the four, but that's still a win considering that you may walk away with producing none of your outcomes. And so it's, I always approach anything I do, whether it's preparing for a deposition, preparing for trial, a tele, an initial telephone conversation with a client, a conversation with an adversary, knowing my outcomes. And, and Leti, you may know this, but whenever I have a meeting, the first thing I ask is, what are, what's the outcome here? What are we trying to produce so we all stay on, on track? with where we want to get to. So it's, it's all interconnected in that regard, but they're, they're, they seem contradictory at times, but aren't necessarily. Wow, really love that. Yeah, I love how you tied it in with our students and their journey and trying to develop those relationships with agents because that's really the key to getting those good deals. They always ask us what the tactics are. What are the tactics for doing it? But it's really not about tactics. It's really about caring and love. So I, I just love it just, that. Yeah, it's asking the agents about themselves and getting right. to know who they are so that you can love them. So then they start to form that relationship with you. And then you do actually get on the top of their list because you actually took the time to care about them. Yeah, which I, most people do not. Yeah, for sure. And I think we naturally tend to do that with the people that we work with, but it just, yeah, putting it into words and, and seeing, oh, okay, that's why we have these good relationships because we really do care. We do really come from a place of love. Yeah. And it's not really just about asking the really shallow questions either, right? Of like, tell us about the weather or your family or whatever. It's actually, you're getting fairly deep, right, Michael? So can you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah. So everything goes back to love, right? If you actually integrously, right, and authentically love people, then your conversations flow because they feel the congruence in your words. So what do I actually mean by that? If I told you to do these things and you didn't actually care or love the person that you were speaking with on the other line, then they would feel an incongruence between your words, your nonverbals, your vocal qualities, and even if they saw you, your body language. 
Only when everything is operating congruently together do people actually feel the things that you're saying. So if I got on the phone with you, Leiti, and I was just like, hey, Leiti, hey, Kenji, really love all the things you guys are doing here, would absolutely love to connect for you, right? Everything about my words, right, if you read it on a transcript, sounds good but my vocal qualities are horrible, right? My body language was even, I just felt out of integrity. So I was like, I spoke more slowly than I normally do. Everything was off about the way I communicated. And so the only way to really do this is to tell the truth, to be integrous in the way you approach these kinds of conversations, because the authenticity is apparent to anybody. Human beings, right? I've worked with, probably watched 25 juries deliberate, maybe even more than that. And it's funny how juries arrive to the conclusions that they ultimately reach. It surprises me every single time. But the one thing that a jury, a group of people together are really good at doing is telling when someone is lying. That's like their the number one skill set that they develop. And it has a lot to do, not with any understanding of the charges or the advice or the instructions that the court had given. It's their own inherent lie detectors, right? Their own BS detectors, their own authenticity detectors that tell them whether or not this person was telling the truth. And it's a combination of both their words, their nonverbals, and their body language that allowed the jury to produce that result and, and to achieve that. And so without the integrity, without the authenticity, and without the love, people feel it. They can tell that your words are empty, that you don't really care about them. And so if you can't develop that skill set and you don't work at it, right, actually confronting yourself and saying, like, why don't I connect with people? Like, why don't I care about the stranger that I just met? Why don't I care about the real estate agent that I'm trying to establish a relationship with enough to love them? Then that begs a ton of questions. It's something you have to go inside with. Now, if you don't want to do the work and you don't want to study yourself and you don't want to reflect on why you don't do these things, then you're not going to have... That skill and that ability, which is a deficiency inside yourself that you'll never be able to overcome. You'll never outrun it. I love the figure of speech, wherever you go, there you are. If you don't develop the skill set and you don't learn to actually love people and connect with them in an integrous and, and authentic way, that's going to be a deficiency that's going to chase you for the rest of your life. You're not going to have the kind of growth that you want. You're not going to have the type of relationships with people, whether it's agents or tenants or coworkers or whatever it is. You're just not going to have that. And that's going to keep you from your next level up. So if you're looking to like 10x your business or even double your business and you can't overcome that kind of deficiency, it's going to find you. and It's going to chase you for the rest of your career. So you have to really confront it and go at it. And the answer to the question is, what's the truth? You know, like, why don't you really care about wanting to connect with strangers? Why don't you feel connected to the person that you're talking with? And that's an internal battle that has nothing to do with them. That has everything to do with you. This episode is brought to you by Tyler Curley of Path Insurance Solutions. Tyler is who we go to for all of our insurance needs. We first started working with Tyler when we bought our first investment properties. And since then, he has not only helped insure all of our investment properties, he's also helped us with our personal insurance needs as well. Tyler's an invaluable member of our team for our investment properties because he's so knowledgeable and he also finds you the best policies without breaking the bank. So the next time you need insurance, be sure to reach out to Tyler at tyler at pathins.com. This episode is brought to you by Epic Financial Strategies. Have you purchased a bunch of different products from a bunch of different financial professionals and at the same time don't understand how your products are integrated and coordinated? 
Kelly Cole and Rob Gale have a team of professionals whose job is to help you navigate through the financial seas of uncertainty and create optimal amounts of loss with little or no additional out-of-pocket cost. They help you craft your investment philosophy, assisting you in creating your own financial website so you can monitor and measure your investment decisions. If you're interested in a free consultation, you can reach them at semi-retiredmd at epicwm.com. Now back to the show. And I think that we always learn that it's all about adding value to your customers or let's say agents, right? But it's really more than that. It's adding value from a place of love. It's got to be, right? It's not just about adding value, period. It's because you actually care about them. And the truth of it is, is that you can chalk that up and be like, oh, this guy sounds like a hippie. How is he an attorney? Look, the track record speaks for itself. Two top 100 national jury verdicts, right? Like all of the successful cases that I handled, all of the pre-trial resolutions and pre-litigation resolutions, all of that stemmed from this. That's objective, right? It shows that this stuff actually works. So sure, your ego can spring up and say, hippie, like wannabe lawyer, whatever it is. But the results speak for themselves. So these are things that you have to confront inside yourself and and to get to a place where you actually develop these skills because they're critical. They are critical for whatever you do. So we talked about dispute resolution, but maybe we could switch to negotiation because, and I'm imagining there's going to be a lot of the same principles here for negotiation. What are some kind of tips or things that you could tell us about being more effective in your negotiations? Sure. I'll I'll start out with a funny story because I think it's going to translate to pretty much anybody who listens in on this. I was dealing with someone who had a conflict, who had a a situation, an issue, and didn't know how to deal with it. And they approached me and they go, hey, can I get some advice on how to deal with the situation? My response immediately was tell the truth, right? And they go, you don't even hear what the problem is. I go, okay. Then they tell me the whole problem. They finished telling what their points were, everything that they wanted me to know. And my response to them was tell the truth right? Negotiations is about telling the truth. And so many times people get caught up in like the ticky tacky, like techniques about how to get the best, you know, result in negotiation. Like I've never been the kind of person who was unable to like leave meat on the bone. Like I'm the worst person to talk to if you want no meat left on the bone in a negotiation to know that you got the absolute like lowest bottom dollar. You collected the most uh, on this sale. You got the best. Like I'm the worst person because for me, it's about a principle, right? And I approached every one of my negotiations as outcome oriented and principled. What do I want to achieve out of this? What do I want to get? What will make me happy or what will make my client happy? And then that becomes the outcome that you focus on. Deception in negotiation has its place. It is successful. Otherwise, you just wouldn't see people utilizing those techniques. But there's an emptiness that comes with negotiation from a place of deception as opposed to principle, as opposed to integrity. Yeah, maybe the person who negotiates out of deception may get a better result one out of 10 times. I find that I'm able to get so many results and such good results because I approach it uh, approach every negotiation from a place of truthfulness and integrity. So literally, I confront the issue head on and I go, this is where my client needs to arrive at. And I don't want to negotiate this back and forth horse trading style where you want 80, I want 50, 
and you come at me with 150 and I come at you with 20 and then you move to 100 and then I move to 40. There's whole models that are built around this. You could look it up. There's a, there's something called the Ackerman model, which is very common in negotiations, right? People use the Ackerman model. They figure out where they want to arrive and then they start with 65% of where they want to arrive. They use all these techniques, uh, authenticity building, rapport building. Then they go to 85%. Then they go to 95%. Then they go to their 100% number where they ultimately want to arrive. And then, ha, I've used the model successfully to achieve the result that I did. And I, I feel like that's sticky in a way. It's successful. It works, right? But I've approached every negotiation from a place of truthfulness, sharing what my intent is, the result that I want to produce, and then attacking that outcome. And sometimes you don't get there. Cases, for example, don't settle until they're ready. And it may be the case that at times somebody needs to be punched in the mouth a couple of times to change their plan in order to get to a place where you can get to resolution. And by the way, that aggression is a part of litigation. So you have to be an absolute warrior when, it, when that's what's called upon. You don't always have to be that. But in negotiations, it, it's the same thing. You're the same person in, in when you're the warrior, then when you're the negotiator, then when you're the peacekeeper. It's all about truth. Um, authenticity, outcome, and sharing outcomes. But one of the things that we learn in negotiation is it's all about information. And the person who has more information and better information usually is the one who's going to have a better outcome. How does that kind of fit into kind of what you're saying about truth-telling? Sure. So this is a great question. I love that you asked it. Communication, right, and establishing connection and information gathering all flow from, we'll call them four categories, Number one is the declaratory statement, right? This is what this building is worth, period, right? This is what my appraisal came back at, right? Declaratory statements is one mechanism for influence, right? To produce a result, to get to an outcome in negotiations. But there's three others that are very much neglected. And those are probably the most optimal tools to use in any negotiation, so number one was the declaratory statement. Number two is the power of asking questions. The person who's asking the questions usually is the person who's in control of the conversation. Instead of saying, my appraiser valued this at $250,000, maybe the conversation starts out with, what do you value this building as? Do you have an appraisal? Have you done any analysis as to what you think the value of this is? And they very well could shut that down or not provide you the information, but there's virtually zero harm if done correctly in asking questions because they may say, hey, look, I'm not going to share my information with you. And that leads you to the second response, which is mirroring. So mirroring is a very effective technique of just repeating what the crux of what someone is actually saying. So they go, well, I'm not going to share this information with you. And you mirror back and say, you're not going to share information with me? And they go, yeah, like, why would I give you that information? Did you get an appraisal done on this building? Did I get an appraisal done on this building? And then you join it with a question. Be like, yeah, of course I got an appraisal done on that. But why does that even matter? Isn't it the case that you may value this less or more and the negotiations may break down if we're not in agreement on these issues? Share with me what your thoughts are on these issues. I'm, I'm curious, like, where's the information? And in that regard, using the power of mirrors and questions together can produce some really great results in terms of gathering information from people. Because when you're asking questions and you're mirroring back, you're not giving them any information, right? But you're gathering information. And if done very well, it is a very potent tool to get 
the kinds of information that you need to begin to make decisions in negotiations, right? And I differentiate negotiating and bargaining. So, and I'll explain what the difference is, at least in my mind, how I do that. The fourth mechanism for communication. So the first one is, again, the declaratory statement. The second is the power of asking questions. The third is a mirror. The fourth mechanism that can be used here is an acknowledgement or a validation, right? So someone goes, I'm not going to share this information with you. So acknowledge it and go, it, it feels like you don't want to share information with me. And it feels like the reason you don't want to share information with me is that you may think that it creates a disadvantage, right? And I can imagine anybody in your position would feel the way that you do. And I can understand that you would think that it would cause a disadvantage. But I've always found that when I'm connecting and trying to negotiate the best transaction, it makes a lot of sense to understand what the other person is thinking and what they're trying to produce to make to see if it even makes sense for us to continue to discuss these things back and forth. And so using those last three, right, the power of asking questions, the mirror, and acknowledging and validating, you're able to gather a tremendous amount of information without providing any information back in return during a negotiation or when you're actually bargaining with a person. So the answer to your question is, I don't just come into any negotiation and say, hey, our number's uh, $50,000 and, and that's it. It's a lot of question asking, a lot of development of information using all four of the tools, the declaratory statement, the power of asking questions, the mirrors, and also the acknowledgement and validation. And that allows you to gather the information to make really informed statements about where you want to arrive, what the outcome is, and whether or not it makes sense that you have to utilize some more of your influencing skills like pattern interrupts right? Or things of that nature. So that's the way I approach negotiations and, and utilizing those four tools to get to the result that you're trying to. So Michael, can you talk to us a little bit about what our students should be looking for in a lawyer? Because as things do come up in real estate every once in a while, and it always makes sense to have a great lawyer in your corner. So what should I, what kind of questions or what kind of characteristics should our students be looking for? <laughs> so you want to be developing there was a study that was done recently in what is the most important quality that non-professionals put on their professional. And you'd be surprised to know that it wasn't industry knowledge, right? It wasn't being knowledgeable in the subject area that you're looking for them. It was responsiveness, right? Responsiveness was by far the number one answer to the question. That answer, right, the fact that a survey produced that result, I think speaks volumes about what people are actually looking for from their experts. And so many people make their decisions on the person who they think has the most industry knowledge, when the reality is you want to make a decision about who's the right person. Whether or not they have the industry knowledge, is it's important, but it's not the most important. Responsiveness talks about caring, right? It talks about urgency. It talks about aggression in terms of wanting to produce the results. And so you want to look for someone who's going to be responsive, right? That actually cares, that's connecting with you, that's able to understand and hear your needs and give you those needs back. You want someone who has industry-specific knowledge, but it shouldn't be the most important thing. What you're looking for is caring, urgency, and aggression. And one of the ways that I've found that working with professionals, choosing the right person is I ask them the questions that would develop those three traits, and I get a feel for whether or not they have those characteristics. And then I follow it up with one last question. And there's a curse in this question, so I'm not going to share it exactly the way it is, but I recommend everybody using this with their professional. When you're done asking them all their questions and you're trying to get a gauge on, is this person going to actually be aggressive for me? Is, are they going to be urgent? Are they going to actually care for me? 
is you ask him this question. Are you the baddest MFer in your area or is there someone better than you? And if their response is like a humana humana, they're kind of like stumped by the question, that's not the right person for you. This is a person that has their own challenges with certainty, their own challenges with their significance, right? And you don't need to be bringing on any people that you need to fix and repair. If their response is, I'm really well regarded in the area with a nice monotone, rich, deep, resonant voice to this. You could speak to any of my colleagues. I'm super well regarded. Maybe the right choice. But if they respond with, you're gosh darn right I am, or some iteration of that, that's the right person for you. Because that's the person with certainty. That's the person with understanding and confidence in their own skill set and their own abilities. And this is a person who's actually going to bring aggression into the mix and aggression is the difference between producing result and not, you know, 90% of the time. All else being equal, most attorneys know the law, but not everybody's going to fight like an absolute guardian gladiator for you. So you need that aggression. It has to be there. And if it's not, run. Don't walk, run, because that's not the right person for you. Just to be clear and without cursing, how would you answer that question? <laughs> You're goddamn right I am. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. Awesome. It's been really great having you here, Michael. We finish every interview with two questions for our guests. The first one is, what is your definition of rich? Wow. So I am so blessed with a very amazing spouse. I have two children, one that's going to be four in October, and I have a little eight-month-old, my little T-Rex, who's you know screaming in the background now. And the truth of it is that uh, richness comes from the quality of the relationships you have and the fulfillment that you could get from everything inside your life. Like life circumstances come at you from every direction, and there's always going to be challenges. And if you're, let's say, for example, your blueprint for life is not consistent with your life circumstances, you're going to be miserable. But if you can find and focus on the things that make you happy and find fulfillment and gratitude in anything that you do, that's what creates richness in life. Amazing. Awesome. And then what is one mindset, habit, or strategy that separates someone who is rich versus someone who is poor? The ability to understand and know how to go into peak state physiologically and psychologically. So there is an operating speed that you have that is your, we'll call it your emotional home. It's where you go every single day. Usually you go up a little bit, you go down a little bit, but generally you're the same every single morning, right? People who are sad or want to find sadness in life will be sad and find sadness in life. People who are happy will be happy generally or and find happiness in life. And the ability to break through and to get to the next level up whatever it is in your life is the ability to identify what is the peak state that you should be operating in. And there are ways to go to that peak state, both psychologically and physiologically. For example, I never take a telephone call, aggressive or not, sitting down. So we're doing this podcast now and I'm sitting and it's giving me a certain energy, right? A much more calm, serene type energy. But whenever I'm on the phone with someone and I'm trying to produce outcomes, I only take it on my feet. Because there is a physiological response that happens to you when you're on your feet and moving around. You're dynamic. There's more energy, access to other things to produce the results that you want. And so the ability to understand and appreciate that you control your mind, that you can take yourself to a higher vibrational state to produce the results that you want is a breakthrough that people must develop in order to have the highest quality of life to get the things that they want. 
because it's only in those higher vibrational states that you actually begin to think about things differently, do things differently, and achieve those results that go well beyond the things that your average non-world-class person produces. Yeah, I think that's something that actually a lot of people miss. When I think about all the mindset work that we've done with different people, it's ultimately state is only really talked about by a couple of them. And yeah, I think that's really an important concept for people to hear about is your state and your energy that you come into things with, because it is your your magnetic when you have the right energy and you have so much more influence and you can give yourself that level of energy if you want to. Yeah. It's Michael a choice. Showed us that an example of uh, you can have a conversation with a low energy and people can feel that it's incongruent, right? With yeah. what you're, what you're trying to convey, which is you're trying to convey loving and caring, but yeah, you have to bring that energy to match it. Yeah. But actually that also points out you can have a conversation with a person who's super, super high energy, but they're falsely. So, right. you know, they're somebody who's giving you tons of compliments and talking too fast and you feel that too, if it's not congruent. So it's coming with that level of energy, but still being congruent with who you are as well. Right. Yeah. 100%. You guys hit the nail on the head, right? So it, congruence comes through in your energetic state. Remember, I, I told you earlier on, if I'm about to have an aggressive conversation with an adversary, I don't want to hit it low energy state, because then that gives them the capability to overcome my energy and produce results that they want to produce, and, and I'm not going to achieve mine. What do I do? Before any call, I'm on my feet. I am clapping my hands. I'm jumping up and down. I'm blasting music to put myself in a higher vibrational state, because then when those two forces collide... I have more certainty, I have more confidence, I have more appreciation or understanding and recognition of my own skill set, and nobody's going to influence me. And that shift in the psychology, right, which was changed by my physiology, allows me to produce better results. Awesome. So Michael, for listeners who have heard this whole interview and now want you as their lawyer, how can they get a hold of you? <laughs> so you can actually go to our website. It's www.calagilaw.com. That's C-A-L-L-A-G-Y-L-A-W.com. You can also contact me directly. My cell phone number is 646-372-3878. Again, that's 646-372-3878. You can find me on Facebook, on LinkedIn. I'm all over the place. So if you're looking for someone who's both caring, urgent, and aggressive, my team of gladiators are here for you to listen to whatever your challenge is. And I promise you this, and I've said this to every client since, if it's not in our hands, we're going to make sure that you end up in the right hands with a person who's like us, who can achieve the results that we can for you. Awesome. And just for everyone who's listening who heard Fred Pinto's interview, Michael is actually a partner with Fred Pinto as well. So Fred is our lawyer for semi-retired and Michael's our lawyer for our real estate business. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. And I hope you guys had fun with Fred. So he's uh, he is definitely a dynamo. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he is. Thank you again, Michael, for joining us and for your time. And we look forward to having you some other time. 100%. And there is one thing that I do want to share before we jump off as a final. I'm not just the lawyer here. I've actually taken the course and the semi-retired MD course. And I've just been blown away by the quality of the content that's on there, the formulas, the information that's being shared. It's like soul bearing, you know, how to be successful. And I, I really feel like your souls, your energy comes through in that. And you really care about producing the right result for the people who take their class. And I thought the quality of, of the content really put that on full display. So I've been just thoroughly impressed with you guys through and through for over a year now. Thank you, Michael. Thank you so much. 
The Doctors Building Wealth podcast provides information only and does not provide any financial, legal, tax, medical, or psychological services or advice. You are responsible for your own financial, physical, mental, and emotional well-being, decisions, choices, actions, and results. You should contact a professional if you have any specific questions about your unique situation.